Welcome to the Vibe Lifter podcast. I'm Tish, one of the Reglan Food co-founders, and I'm here to help lift your vibe with inspiring stories from people out in their local communities doing good mahi. So settle in and let's meet our guest of the day. Today, we're chatting with Rick Thorpe, local Reglan legend behind starting up Extreme Zero Waste, maker of delicious chutneys and pestos, and now co-founder trustee of Community Energy Whangaroa. Kia ora, Rick. Ah, tēnā Good to see you, Tish. It's lovely to have you here in the factory today. So, I see you as one of the uh, real deal Reglan locals. How long Mm. have you (laughs) lived here now and, and what do you love about this place? Yeah, and that's a hard one, isn't it? You know, Wendy became local, but yeah, Lizzie and I came here um, nearly 35 years ago and purchased um, a 15-acre block just out of town, and that gave us the opportunity to start sort of developing uh, the land along permaculture principles and um, get ready for um, having our our children, um, Zach and Pania. So that all came along. I think we had one and a half um, jobs and a couple of volunteer jobs and we built a house, you know, developed a piece of land and had two babies all at the same time. Wow. As you do when you it all. Yeah, got all of that amazing energy in your thirties. Oh, cool. You love Raglan because community, yeah. gardening, land, beauty, all of the yeah. above. Yeah, totally all of the above. Yep, is um, beautiful ocean, west coast, really appealing. Love the sunsets mm. and the community. Yeah, super good vibe, you know. Yes. And I think we'll probably talk more about that. A eh? the vibe of Ragland, what it is, and um, how we keep it. And we've always um, loved living here on the west coast. Mm. Particularly, we were very welcomed in the early days by lots of um, local people, and we could see that we could kind of add to the local economy. So, yeah, we stayed. And add you have, (laughs) uh, which leads very well into my next question. I know you've told this story probably hundreds of times now, but for those who don't already know the extreme zero waste journey, can you give us the sort of bite-sized version of that? Sure. Yeah, well, if we wind the clock back, um, so Extreme Zero Waste has been um, under contract with Waikato District Council for the last 23 years, 24 years, Mm. providing zero waste services to the Raglan community. Yeah, wind the clock back, um, 25 years in the community. We're um, talking about how do we keep our young people here, this side of the divvy, increase the employment opportunities and diversity of the opportunities as much as anything and how do we make it through the um, low economy of the winter Um, Mm. and many of the shops closed down you know there were heaps of restaurants open for the summer closed through the winter yeah and so the community um, wanted a kind of holistic uh, response to the fact that their landfill was closed and um, transferring all of the waste very expensive Mm. to somewhere else's and Ultimately, it was someone else's backyard. Yeah. Um, and so we really wanted to take responsibility for that. And so we combined all of those things and we developed a program around zero waste, but also provided training and employment opportunities for our community. Yeah, it's amazing up there. And I think I've heard somewhere in one of the stories, it was literally as simple as going around with a trailer, right? Someone was going around with a trailer picking up 
yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty hectic in the early days. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was hard to get the equipment, you know. Yes. And, and I th- really think there were so few communities involved in managing their own waste mm. that there was a feeling that perhaps you know we'd be passionate for a, a year or two and then we'd give up, and and that's kind of the type of contracts that we had initially, limping along, unable to, yeah, couldn't get a bank loan. Mm. And we were kind of judged on that lack of professionality. So tough gig in the first few years. Yeah, but you stuck with it. Yeah, we stuck with it and and there were some good wins. And, you know, now it's um, employees 42 people. Yeah. Um, it probably pumps nearly $2 million back into the local economy. Amazing. Um, plus you get all of those services as well. And we get to call it the local mall. Yeah, <laughs> As true, everyone right? does. You know, yeah. where, where do I need that from? Oh, I'll get it at Extreme. It's just so easy. Yeah. It's a great service. I've actually heard that Auckland City Council has used what Extreme are doing as a model for their own programs. Is that true? And and how did you help them implement that? Mm, yeah. You know, and it was it's a shame, you know, that we didn't have that kind of interest um, from local governments 25 years ago. You know, it was just... Uh, a road too difficult. But anyway, here we are. And so Extreme Zero Waste, we validated that um, the model um, could work. Uh, many people said it would never work. And then when it sort of did in Raglan, they said, well, it'll it'll happen in Raglan because they're kind of freaky, you know, yeah. little eco-peeps. <laughs> Fringe people. Yeah. But it would never happen in Auckland City. And it was like, right, that's the next challenge. Yes. And um, so Auckland Council have a strategy to develop 21 kind of extreme zero waste Mm. community resource recovery centres, but it's not a franchise model. You know, they'll all reflect their own community, and um, but geographically the Great Barrier, Waiheke Islands, and then kind of Albany and um, Helensville all the way south to Wa'uku. That's so cool. Um, So we've got 14 so far and a contract to develop another eight. Wow. And will they be similar in that they have all the different kind of divisions, I guess, that you have up at Extreme where there's like a wood yard and there's metal and there's, you know, are they trying to do all of that or are they being a bit more yeah, niche than that? Yeah, a little bit more niche. I mean, there's some of them that because they're in a small isolated community like Waiuku or Helensville, then they would have the full suite mm. and they'd be going for maximum diversions, maximum employment opportunities, and they would have access to the full waste stream. Some of the other ones like Manurewa, Waiorea, they're slightly smaller and they're kind of focusing more on education, zero waste education, and providing spaces for people to come in and do upcycling mm. and they'll run a secondhand shop, but maybe not so much of the recycling activity. Yeah, fair enough. I guess, yeah, you do what you can do. And what is the diversion, the latest diversion stat? It was sort of 70% plus when I last looked at it. Yeah, and it kind of sits there, you know. Mm. We we kind of hit that figure about 75. I think we've been up to 80% Amazing. diversion of um, Raglan's total solid waste. And it kind of sits around there and you'd ask the question that probably for that last 20, 25%, that it's more related to having the appropriate legislation in place. Mm. So it's things like product stewardship, you know, end of life. It's about increasing the waste levies, but also increasing the facilities so that you can offer people diversion 
And ultimately, I mean, it's about changing their behaviour in terms of their consumption and consumerism. And kind of the weird one about extreme zero waste, like the ultimate for us would be not to exist. Right. (laughs) You've done yourself out of a job. Yeah, for sure. Mm. We've hit zero waste and communities change their behaviour and we're all happy. Amazing. Well, that's the future. Yep. (laughs) Got a little bit of a way to go. Yeah, it has. So I know Liz, um, your other half, she's doing marvels up there with her composting initiative, amongst other things. What are the current projects at Extreme? Are you still involved on a day-to-day basis with some things? I'm involved in the at the trust level, and that's kind of about um, the succession plans, you know, and there's so many amazing people at Extreme that's got um, ninja skills and yes. zero waste. So I need to um, back out and, you know, create a vacuum there. And so, yeah, Lizzie with her sort of ecological background, her botanical background, so she's been looking at the sort of soil science mm. side of it for Whaingaroa. And I guess having those thoughts about if we were to be the most resilient community, how much food could we actually grow here? Mm. And we're, we're kind of blessed with amazing soils, yes. gifts from Karioi and Orkiti um, Volcanics. And, yeah, we've got a lot of the topsoil still there, so um, in a reasonable rainfall. Mm. So the other part of it is the nutrition level. So, yeah, Lizzie's working hard on that. The amount of compost that she's actually manufacturing from food waste Mm. and green waste is probably enough to keep us as a resilient community and growing most of our own food. Incredible. But, yeah, some of the other ones, I mean, it's, you know, as you you would know, packaging has always been an issue. Mm. It's really, yeah, it's a tough gig, that one, um, where we would be promoting reusables, of course, and um, no surprise to yourself. And and so glass would be ideal and Mm. um, we would have bottle washing plants in every city like we once used to have. But without product stewardship, it's just so difficult to get that end of life or end of their first life, you know, Mm. um, once the container's empty. How do we, because we're all part of the sort of national and even global economy, how do we get those um, packaging back? So we've been working a little bit with... Some of the companies with um, Mali, IP Plastics, trying to, to give plastic a value mm. and to keep it in circulation within New Zealand. And we've kind of got enough onshore now that if we can keep it in circulation, then we can kind of close that loop down yes. and we can um, minimise the virgin uh, plastic that's being used. But it is also just the amount of times that you can realistically get another life out of it, you know, because the polymers are changing and the structure's changing every time you're mounting it down. And yeah, yeah. so, I mean, my understanding is that you can get a couple of rounds if you're lucky and then maybe 10 if you're really lucky with PET. Yeah, yeah that's right. And and your partner, Dave, would um, know heaps about that. And But there was an interesting comment once and, and it came from the plastics manufacturers mm. and they said no one actually asked them to make plastic and and to play around with the polymers and right. the carbon and change. structure it that yeah. way to make it and there's little things which they can do um, little systems as well as um, using catalysts but they can realign those carbon chains mm. but they've never been asked to do that mm. you know they've always been it's asked always to been make the use. cheapest single-use product 
product, yeah. you know, which they've done very well. But so may, maybe it's just about us envisioning, yeah, the, the future that we want and working with um, some of these guys that, you know, are not our enemy at all. You know, no. they just, but yeah, they've never, never really been um, asked to the table. So, you know, mm. we, we could have some interesting times with plastics. And maybe some of the polymers, you know, natural polymers, you know, could be used. I mean, cellophane, sellotape, yeah. you know, or used to be cellulose-based. Yes, harakiki flax. You can yeah. do a lot with that. Yeah, mm. totally. Yeah, it's an interesting space. Um, So I believe the philosophy of permaculture has played quite a role in your life and you mentioned that, you know, on your property that's that's what you're doing there. Um, What does permaculture mean for you? How do you bring that philosophy into different areas? In a previous life, uh, I used to work for Wildlife Service and Department of Conservation as an ecologist, and so yeah, studying or, or being an observer of of the natural world, you know, was really important to me. And I worked on endangered species management, black robin on the Chatham Islands, oh. Kakapo in Fiordland, and Takahi in the Murchison Mountains, and a little bit on Kokako and. Myself and um, uh, another fellow ecologist, um, we were very interested in using permaculture principles mm. in kind of ecological management. Because if you asked the kid to do what's its favourite food, it'll probably tell you that it loves the plums and the tree lucerne, the tegasastes. Um, and if you ask the kōkako, it'll definitely say the, the neighbour, the farmer's um, apples and plums would be mm. spot on, loves mm-hmm. it. And um, so, you know, it's impossible to wind back the clock and eradicate some of these um, plants. But if we were smart about it, you know, and um, the future of the forest could look quite different. So those were my early days of thinking about permaculture, and that was around the sort of um, mid-1980s. And I love the values of permaculture. People care, earth care, and fair share. It's just so, so simple. simple. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, so that kind of sits there. And I guess I I test um, some of these ideas, whether it's about um, life on the farm or if it's about zero waste or the community energy fine at all. Does it sit well with those values? Mm, that's beautiful. And so that leads into community energy whangaroa, so that's part of your passion for community resilience and and that's, I believe, a fairly new sort of more recent project. Tell me about it. What's the vision? What's in the works? What are you hoping to to see with it? Yeah, so I guess that's um, a natural extension of of the waste work that we had been done and it really came as a project um, which had been worked on by a group in Kaitaia called CBEC community business environment CBEC environment center yeah (laughs) and and they um, did so much work around healthy homes and helping people um, who are suffering from energy hardship and there'd always been conversations for the last sort of 20 years and people were reflecting on the structure of extreme zero waste Mm -hmm. and the fact that the community can own assets and own businesses and that can provide amazing benefits mm. like I mentioned before around training and employment but it can also um, provide resilience 
And so the last sort of 15, 20 years we've been talking about, wouldn't it be cool if the community mm. could actually own some energy assets? Yeah, amazing. And, you know, like when the Te Uku wind farm went in, you know, it would have been cool to have a windmill at that stage. Mm. Um, but anyway, the process which they used um, meant that it was impossible for us. But we kept the ideas alive and and just in the last couple of years we've formed Community Energy Whaingaroa. Mm. Its mission is to deal with energy hardship within this community mm-hmm. and energy hardship is a little bit around um, literacy and, you know, myself when I look at my monthly power bills, you know, I, yeah. I don't really mean? understand them. Yeah. <laughs> I think most people would agree with that. I'm sure there's ways to make it cheaper, eh? But mm. So difficult to tell. So a little bit around um, literacy and then some of it is around um, healthy homes. Mm. And so it's about having the insulation in your home. It's about maybe even um, having your hot water cylinder sort of on a timing system so that it's not on during the peak most expensive time and um, could be charged up through the night. And so there's there's lots of simple things that we can do that will help people out. But we probably have a few folk in the community that really struggle to pay their bills. Mm. And so the idea was that if we could create a surplus, and so we've been um, approaching and um, putting solar systems onto the commercial rooftops mm. uh, around Whaingaroa. And um, so Extreme Zero Waste has been the first. The community centre has been the second one. And um, we're now talking to West Coast Health about having us on the roof down there. And it would make sense for them to have a battery for, yes. the, for the future. We've been talking to the Poihakina Marae. And so you can kind of think of these little places of resilience. Mm. So when the power went down, that we can still function, we can still offer people all of the sort of social help. Yes. But um, those organisations have also identified people in the community that are suffering real economic hardship. Mm. So we kind of figure that if we can over-generate on these yes. commercial roofs, you know, then that gives us a little bit of profit mm. and we can either put that into some of those other activities that I mentioned before about retrofitting houses, but it might be that we can actually pay some of those um, power bills. Mm. Wouldn't that be nice, you know, yeah, for beautiful. some of our kuya, you know, to tell them to crank the heater, you know, that um, yeah, we've got their we've back. Got you covered. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be so nice. Wow, amazing. And so when did this get going, that sort of formally? When did it all solidify? So formally we've been registered as a limited liability company with um, charitable status Mm. under the umbrella of extreme zero waste at the moment and for the last sort of 18 months. Mm. And it's been very interesting. Um, Once again, it's an area where I don't think the companies, the large companies, the lines companies mm. and the retail companies really thought that community would come and play in that area. And so there's a lot of relationship stuff that we've had to do in this first 18 Navigating. months. Navigating. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's all the initial work though. Once you've done that, sort of the hard part, you'll probably be away. True, yeah. You can see where the profits are um, in that business model. So to design something, and and most of it is about sending energy out. Mm. You know, the systems haven't really been 
fully developed for receiving in energy. Yes, or circulating it within a community. Yeah. Mm. And we're, we're, once again, you know, it's um, a little bit um, different here in Whaingaroa Raglan, but, you know, there's two to three times the number of EVs mm. uh, per capita in Raglan than yeah, the average. Around. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And they are amazing batteries in every car. So, you know, how, how can we get really amazing, you know, at um, strategizing and going, okay, well, you know, we've got, we've got these, these mobile battery systems mm. in the community, you know, is there a way that we can actually utilize that stored energy mm. in different, so it's having those conversations and, but once again, they haven't really designed systems to be able to do that. Mm, it's a little bit of creative uh, problem solving yeah. by the sound of it. So there's a lot of debate out there about the pros and cons of different renewable energy types. Uh, some people are very anti wind farms, for example. Do you believe, because you would have done a bit of research in this space, that solar is our best bet for renewable energy or do you think we need a combination of solutions? Mm, great question. I think really what the, uh, the answer is, is is similar to waste. It's actually uh, about changing our behaviour. Mm. And so it's about becoming far more efficient with the energy that we do create and that our houses are healthy and that they're super well insulated, which is not the case in New Zealand. No, you know, we've, but is the case in Europe. <laughs> so yeah. if you go over there and you go into a house in Germany or France, it's like, oh, I'm always warm. How unusual. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't have this at home. <laughs> and double, double, triple. Yeah, so much glazing. Yeah, yeah it yeah. makes such a difference. Yeah, and we've we've got some cool products, though, eh, in New Zealand. We've oh, yeah. got like things like wool, mm. beautiful insulation. So it is a little surprising, and perhaps you know also um, passive solar. You mm. know, it's it's I guess hard in a in a subdivision or a, an urban situation if you're on the south side of the hill and lose the sun early in the day. But I think a little bit more design work needs to be done. So that's kind of avoiding the question a little bit, but it's just making a plug to say that we've got to put all of our energy into changing our behaviour and to minimising the need for electricity in the first place. And then the electricity that we do use become super efficient about how we use it. Mm. And that's um, systems backwards and forwards, like I say, utilising battery systems from an EV. But... And then, yeah, I I was listening to Phil McCabe um, oh, yes. on the radio this morning, you mm. know, and and he's just sort of back from COP twenty four, was it twenty eight? I think. Yeah. yeah, we're already at twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah, <laughs> been so many of them, and and what has been achieved? I mean, I know things have been achieved, but it doesn't feel yeah. like enough. He said there was some there was some pretty cool stuff happening. You know, right. he feels quite positive about it. It was a discussion about um, the elements that make up batteries. You know, around oh, yes. kind of lithium and mm. and saying that there's an opportunity to move to sodium mm. and um, being salt, salt yep. crystals, yep. and battery. And I, I guess for me, like if building solar panels, it takes a lot of energy and we're building them better and better so the panels that which are lasting a minimum of 25 years mm. and they've still got like 80, 85% mm. of their life 
In fact, in Whangaroa, it's hard because the panels actually outdistance the roof. Oh, wow. Right, so you need to replace your roof, but your panels are fine. Yeah, okay. Because we're in the coastal zone, you know, so Mm. there's a little bit of rust and things. And and so we've reached that point where the panels are actually going to outlast the roof. Mm. And um, so that seems seems good. That's a good problem, yep. Yeah, let's pause out there and... Um, but the panels that we've been looking at have been built in such a way that they can actually be deconstructed for recycling. Amazing. And so we, we want to be part of that business. Mm. We also want to be part of the business around the recycling and the deconstruction of batteries and um, the reuse of um, all of those precious metals. Mm. And that's kind of a difficult one because we we come into this problem of being such a small country, small numbers of people, and it's really hard to have that type of infrastructure available. Yeah, the scale of it. Yeah. But there's some cool stories, you know, Toyota um, changing their the, um, factory, which they've got at Kopu near Thames, mm. into a battery deconstruction um, as part of their yep, wow. um, commitment because they've, you know, all of the Priuses, all of the hybrid cars yes. will be coming to the end of their life now. So coming back to your question, what's the best, solar, wind or hydro? I think probably the hydro is is the one. Mm. Um, if we can um, utilise water, you know, that's um, subject to gravity and is heading mm. downhill. And I always thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to actually have um, mini hydro, like impellers and things like that mm. in the pipes, which is doing um, drinking water and mm. um, storm water. You know, if you've got water travelling, surely yes. we can generate some electricity, mm. even if it's just for the pumping stations to get it up over the next hill mm. or... But, yeah, I would like to think that we have a really holistic view about water in the landscape mm. and, and the, our water needs and, therefore, if we can get water up to the top of the hills and then gravity feed down for irrigation for food um, production, but we could also utilise that for um, microhydro. Yeah. Mm, I like it. So you do a lot for the community, um, which is awesome. What do you love to do in your own time? What what sort of refills your cup? Would have been 30 years ago and I've lived some of my life in the Pacific and and it's always been, you know, in someone else's culture and um, so I've always been, I guess, aware of that and I've always asked permission if I can come and um, do things like wild harvest of fish mm. And so about 30 years ago at Poihaki and Marae and so we went down there and um, Fire Eva Rickard was there and and I said, you know, look, I'm super passionate about um, the fishery. It's it's the worst harbour fishery in New Zealand. It really? Took, it, at, at that the stage, it, yeah. Oh. That, at that stage it took 18 hours to catch a legal fish. Really? And people were still going out fishing. That wow, was that's sad, dedication. That was crazy. And um, and a big ups to Harbourcare, Freddie Litchwark and Fiona Edwards and Boydie mm. and all of the rest of the crew, and they've planted over 2 million trees, Amazing. 600 kilometres of fencing, and the fishery has recovered to a point where you get your limit of 10 fish within two hours. Incredible. So such a short period of time, amazing ecological restoration. Mm. 
So anyway, I went to see Fire Eva and said, look, it's the worst harbour fishery. No one can argue about that. <laughs> uh, and I've got some skills. I, um, marine biology was my buzz then. I really like to improve the fishery. And she mm. said, that's a great idea. Go up the hill, close the landfill, stop the leachate from coming into the water, come back and see me <laughs> once you've recycled all of that stuff. And, <gasps> You're like, wow, all yeah. right, this is a bigger mission <laughs> or a different mission than you were thinking. Totally. I really thought swanning around, you know, in an inflatable, you know, with my sunnies on. And, yes, you know, being that, in the water. Yeah. But no, you got bars. stuck on the lad so, <laughs> dealing yeah, with all the waste. All of that rubbish. <laughs> so it, I kind of figure that I've done that, you know, yes. and that I have the opportunity to return to the harbour. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what f- fills my cup, being out on the water, yeah. You know, definitely. On a boat or in a kayak or yeah, on a, on a surfboard, on a kayak, yeah, yeah and um, fishing. Um, and there's a place in the harbour and um, called Nahihi o Te Rā. Hmm. And my understanding of that name is it's that um, shimmer. Oh. It's that beautiful shimmer when you come over that Bow Street, you know, and you're dropping down oh, into yeah, town I know and the you shimmer. see the yeah, shimmer. Yeah, it's great. And um, that fills my heart, mm. you know. I just love that. It, there was something else if I was doing something on the farm and um, I just needed um, to be listening to something um, a bit different, mm. Blind Boy Podcasts. Blind Boy Podcasts. Blind Boy. Okay. Yeah, check him out. I'll check him out. I haven't heard of Blind Boy. He's um, this cool Irishman. And, oh, yeah. You so know, we got a good accent. That yeah, helps. Yeah. It's really lovely stuff. Really inspiring. Hmm, nice. Okay. Like a good recommendation. I'll have a look at that. Are there any projects coming up for you in the new year that you're feeling excited about? Anything on the horizon that you're like, oh, yes, can't wait to get stuck into that? Mm. In the new year, I guess um, we're sort of in the middle of our summer cycle of food growing on the farm. Yes. And something which I'm putting more effort into with the slight change in, in the climate, mm. um, which has made it easier, is growing more tropicals. Oh, what are we um, talking? So we're talking bananas, oh. a whole variety of bananas, um, a lot of taro, mm. and um, it'd be really lovely to get more people in Raglan eating taro. Mm. So you guys are bringing your Rarotonga here. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And um, about the only thing that we can't really grow is coconuts. Yes, uh, I know that well. Yeah. <laughs> if we could, I'd be sourcing them yeah. from you. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, but I, I actually don't want it to get warm enough that we, can, <laughs> we grow. can grow. we got a real problem yeah. if we can start yeah. growing coconuts there. And you've already recommended the podcast. Is is there anything you're reading at the moment or watching that you're really enjoying that people might find inspiration in? Probably watching this time of the year through the spring and the summer months, you know, uh, my passion for the birds. Oh, um, watching so, the birds. I like it. So, it's not yeah. a TV program. No. <laughs> We're literally it, watching the birds. It's out there and, <laughs> um, and, you know, early morning to late evening, you know. And there's um, certain birds like the shining cuckoo mm. and the arrival of, of the shining cuckoo in Whaingaroa as it's come from its migration from Indonesia mm. to East Coast Australia. And then it just kind of hangs out there. It needs kind of three days of northwesterlies. Oh. So for it, to, it'll sit there and, um, and it's such a tiny little bird, you know, can't do it on its own, but collectively they can, they can manage that massive migration 
And when they come over, when they land, the calls which they um, produce, you know, it's just amazing um, year after year. But for us, it's a real tohu. It's a real indicator um, about those weather patterns shifting from our um, winter kind of southwesterlies through to the northwesterlies. So when the cuckoo comes across, it's okay for us to put our tapapa down and start growing our kumara mm. and um, start moving the bananas around and things like that. So for, for me, I guess um, sometimes subconsciously just listening to the, um, for the birds because yeah. they provide me with lots of wisdom um, about what I should be doing, but also just that beauty of early morning and um, late evening, being Aww. reminded about, yeah, one of the reasons why we moved here to Whangaroa and put so much effort into revegetating our our pasture farm. Yes, you've made it pretty gorgeous out there. I haven't been out there in a while, but I remember how lush it was <laughs> last yeah. time I was there. You did an incredible job. Ah, well, that is the end of all my questions. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for coming in. I know how highly you're regarded here in Raglan, and I think it's really beautiful how you're using your time and energy and your skills to to contribute back to the community. It's it's really special. So mm, well, thank, thank you, you, very you so much. much. Yeah, and no, I, I guess my, my my last little thing, you know, is around the vibe of Raglan. Yes. You know, and um, I'm not even sure you can describe it, mm. um, but, you know. You I can I, feel I, it. Yeah, you can kind of feel it. Eh? And, and for me, that's one of the special things that keeps me going is to make sure that, you know, newcomers into Raglan um, kind of feel and understand the vibe, mm. um, something that they moved here that was different from elsewhere. Yes. And, yeah, just big ups to yourself and, you know, and all the amazing businesses here in Whangaroa that um, take on the challenge of zero waste and, um, and put back into the community, keeping that vibe going. Yep, we're trying to lift the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean. what we're doing. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Vibe Lifter podcast. We hope that tuning into this interview has lifted your vibe. Check out raglanfoodco.com to learn more about the people and projects we're stoked to be supporting. A body's a true hobby, the one to shake the sun. that you played